You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We're in a series titled, The Questions Jesus Asked. And we are in the third week of the series. If you need a Bible, the men are in the aisles. Just raise your hands. They'd love to give you one. And uh, as we've been in the series, we found out the Gospels reveal that Jesus asked well over 500 questions. I believe it's 580, if my memory is correct. 580 questions that Jesus asked in his short three-year public ministry. That is a lot of questions, man. And we learned something from this. Uh, we saw, we've been looking at the, as we, in this new series of the questions Jesus asked. Jesus asked a lot of questions, and we see his wisdom in that. Uh, we see that asking questions is a vital ingredient for being a good listener. Uh, knowing where someone else is at, uh, it's a vital ingredient for caring about others and uh, learning what's going on in their life. It's a vital ingredient for pouring into others, for raising them up, for building them, for uh, growing them, uh, for leading them, for helping them. And uh, really important that we ask questions. Jesus modeled that very well for us. Moreover, uh, these questions that Jesus asked are incredibly profound. They are so profound that they are the same questions that Jesus is asking us today. Uh, questions that transform our life. And by the way, when Jesus asks questions, it's never for his benefit. It's always for our benefit. Uh, for uh, He's asking that we might grow, that we might be built up. Uh, and we look at some of the questions uh, so far that we've covered in our series. The first one that we started with was, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Uh, here's why. Because it's easier, right? It's easier to look at someone else's faults than to look at our own. And we love blaming, man. And so uh, uh, we saw the wisdom of that question. And we went in in depth and looked at why we do it and how we can uh, grow in that. Uh, this, uh, we also looked at another question he asked, who do men say that I am? That is uh, the most profound question of all the questions Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Because when we get that answer correct, uh, we realize, oh my gosh, you are the true and living God. You are the creator of the universe. You are the one who made all things. And you became a man that you might go to a cross to purchase our redemption, to pay the penalty of our sins, that you love me that much that you would do this for me. Oh my gosh, if you are the creator God who loves me that much to become a man, to go to a cross, take the punishment of our, my sins on your back so that I could be given your righteousness as a free gift, then I want to know you. I want to know a God who loves me that way. I want to know a God who cares for me and is that selfless. Uh, and who do you say that I am? One of the most important questions that, can, uh, that was ever asked. Um, 
The next question, uh, very much in light of uh, who do you say that I am, Jesus would ask, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And we realize as we study the Jesus asking that question, we so often ask for temporal things, for things that bring us momentary comfort. And yet we're speaking to the creator of the universe. It'd be far wiser to be asking for things that were pertaining to the kingdom, things that were pertaining to eternity, things that really mattered. And yet we're so prone to ask for temporal uh, needs. Uh, the question that we looked at last week which of you, by worry, can add one cubit to his stature? Or in other words, which of you, by worrying, has ever grown one inch? And we looked at the, uh, the dangers of worrying and the, the negative ramifications that it brings into our life and what we were, what the proper way to deal with our worry. And we looked at that in depth last week. And so we see, by looking at these questions, uh, they're profound and our life is forever changed when we answer from the heart, when we answer the questions that Jesus asked. Well, today we're continuing on in our series on the questions Jesus asked, and we're looking at this question in John chapter 5. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Uh, what a great question. And you would think it's like, do you even need to ask? The obvious answer would be what? Yes, yes of course. But we're going to see it's not uh, that obvious, right? Like we're, we're more complex. And uh, do you want to be made well? Um, Jesus is asking, do you want to grow? Do you want to improve? Uh, do you want to be uh, a better human? Do you want to be a uh, builder of others, a better friend, a more selfless lover, have deeper relationships? Do you want to be made well? I love looking at human potential. Uh, may I just say, you're amazing. I mean, human potential is astonishing. It is incredible. I look at the things that humans do, and it is, it is absolutely remarkable what the human body is capable of. Uh, there are men who can throw a baseball 105 miles an hour. I mean, that's amazing, right? Uh, there are men who can dunk a basketball from the free, free throw line, right? Uh, just uh, amazing. How do you possibly do that? I can't dunk a basketball if I'm standing underneath a basket. Uh, and they do it from the, the, the free, free throw line. Uh, humans can pole vault over 20 feet into the air. Uh, here's a picture of Renaud. I don't know how you say his last name, but he's pole vaulting 20 feet, three inches. Uh, look how much higher than the his pole he is. It's just remarkable. That's the world record, by the way. Uh, or how about this one? Tanya Streeter, a free diver. She dove 525 feet on one breath. She held her breath for over six minutes on this dive as she's swimming, right? Uh, 525 feet in Turks and Caicos. Uh, just astonishing uh, what humans can do. Uh, uh, there's some of you who are just amazing surfers. I know Chris and Heidi, they go, they're just like, they're, they're phenomenal, right? They go out there and uh, just rip up on the waves. And, and uh, here's a picture of Sebastian, I think you pronounce it Stutner, uh, surfed an 86 foot wave in Nazaré, Portugal. Uh, biggest wave recorded. 
Uh, look at that. He looks like an ant on that beast. Look at that thing. Uh, that would pulverize him if that crushed him. Uh, absolutely incredible. And all that to say is just human, uh, human potential is absolutely astonishing what people can do. I like watching these videos. Maybe you see, Have you seen these parkour guys? And they just, is that how you say it? My son's laughing at me. Is that how you say it, Nathan? Yeah? Parkour. It's like they jump from building. I mean, they're 20 stories up. And they jump from one building to another. They jump down staircases. It's like uh, I saw this one. He's on this like 40-foot building. And he jumps into this. I can't even explain it. But somehow he bounces side to side as he's falling down. And he gets to the bottom without getting hurt. Remarkable talents, right? Like it's, it's beyond comprehension what people can do and think about human potential I mean, we've learned the distance to the sun how do we figure that out 92 million miles away the speed of light 186,282 uh, miles per second uh, just amazing human accomplishments uh, Jeff Bezos figured out how to get your package to your door the next day after you buy something I mean amazing in and out Burger figured out how to make a hamburger taste good with only this much meat in the thing. I just like, but I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Uh, it's like, it's crazy. Like, uh, amazing accomplishments uh, that uh, people do. Uh, we've walked on the moon. Uh, there are people who run a mile in, in a three-minute mile. Can you imagine? There are people who run marathons in two hours and one minute. 26 point something miles in two hours and one minute. You do the math, that is a four minute mile for 26 miles nonstop. Beyond comprehension, right? And I enjoy watching people reach their human uh, potential. Just, it's, just, it's astonishing to look at. It's remarkable. And it's really admirable uh, to, to watch, you know, uh, men and women who do amazing things like... Uh, like lay down their life for the country so that we can enjoy the freedoms we have. What amazing human potential. Uh, like a mom who gets four babies to church at the eight o'clock service. Uh, just amazing human potential. Uh, we dedicated uh, little Andrew and Marcy's baby uh, during first service and they've got four kids and and that woman's amazing. I mean, she had that child, her fourth child, and she, I think she had it on a Friday, and she was at church on Sunday. I'm like, <laughs> well, just amazing, right? How does mom get four kids to church on Sunday morning? You're amazing. Uh, Christians who devote their lives to serving Jesus and to serving Jesus' people, even though it's tireless and uh, oftentimes demanding. Dads who provide for their entire family. They put a roof over their kid's head, and they put clothes on their family's back, and they put food on the table. Uh, dads, I mean, great job. Great job. I mean, amazing. Uh, you're amazing people, and human potential is just staggering to consider. I look at the sons and the daughters who are taking care of their elderly parents and uh, laying down your life to, to honor your mother and father. Good on you, man. Way to go. Just amazing things that people do. And so we see that humans are really amazing. And again, it's so admirable when a person disciplines themselves and to achieve their potential, it inspires us all. But we also know that humans are very sinful. And we all have blind spots or lame areas in our life where we're feeble. 
And it's quite remarkable uh, that uh, humans are a bit of a paradox, right? On one hand, we're so exceptional that we can surf 80-foot waves and walk on the moon. But on the other hand, we can't even control our own tongue. How does that work? We can do these and you know, hold our breath for six minutes, but we can't get along with our neighbor. How does that work? And no matter how exceptional you are, here's what I know. We all have some lame areas in our life. Areas that are hindering us. Areas that are uh, keeping us back. They might be uh, some bad habits. They might be some addictions. They might be some sinful routines that are crippling us from growing. They might be some behaviors that are hindering our relationships or hindering us as parents. Uh, They might be holding us back from uh, achieving all that God wants us to achieve, to achieve. And we all have these lame areas. And again, we are this strange paradox, aren't we? That we can excel so much in one area and have a totally lame area in another. And it is directly to these lame areas of our life that Jesus asked this question. Do you want to be made well? Oh, I know you're a superstar in this. But let's take a look at the lame area of our life for a moment. And here's the question, do you want to be made well? Well, I don't know, nobody's perfect. Well, hey, think about what human potential is. How many of you would like to run a four-minute mile? I would, I'll raise everything I got, right? Uh, I'm too old for that, but, uh, but hey, it shows us what human potential is. And when we look at Jesus, we see what human potential is. And I'm so thankful that we walk by faith and God's desire is to grow us more into the image of Jesus each and every day of our life. We are being conformed into the image of Christ as we make him the Lord of our life and as we walk in his word. And so this is his will for us. Uh, And uh, on these lame areas of our lives, maybe uh, uh, ponder for a moment what yours might be. What would you write down? What would your lame area be? How would you want to grow? What was God want to do in your life? What thing would he want to, uh, to heal for you? Uh, and uh, maybe write it down, right? Think about it. Uh, because here is, the, here is the issue. If we bring Jesus our sin, he will heal us. If we bring him our lame areas, he will heal us. We look at the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and they persecuted Jesus. They crucified Jesus. Do you know why? Because they saw no need to have a Savior. Why did they see no need to have a Savior? Because they were self-righteous. And Jesus would have healed them. Jesus would say, oh, how I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under its wings. But you were not willing in that you did not recognize this your day of your visitation. In John 9, Jesus heals a blind man. A man who was born blind. And he did it on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders start hassling this blind guy. Uh, Who healed you? Like, uh, they were jealous of Jesus, right? And this blind man says, this is a remarkable thing. From the history of the world, from the beginning of creation, never has a man who was born blind been healed. Never. And yet you want to give this guy a hard time. And they said, are you teaching us? And they rebuke him, and they kick him out of church. They kick him out of the temple. 
Jesus then comes along and he finds us religious leaders. And he tells them something interesting. Take this to heart. Jesus said verbatim, for judgment I have come into this world that those who see might be made blind and those who are blind might see. What? Let's think about that a moment. For judgment I have come into this world. Yeah, I've come to judge. That those who are blind might see and those who see might be made what? Blind. We all understand the Jesus who heals the blind, but not many of us understand the Jesus who blinds those who see, who brings judgment. What's he saying? Well, here's what he's saying. Uh, I'll just go on with the verse. The religious leaders, they understood what Jesus was. They, 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 they asked him, are you calling us blind? After he had just healed the blind man. Are you calling us blind? And Jesus answered them and he said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say that you see. Therefore, your sin remains. Wow. Do you understand? If we would bring Jesus our blindness, our lame areas, what would he do? He'll heal us. But if we say, we don't have any, then your judgment comes. Your sin remains. And instead of saying, yeah, we need, we need salvation. We need to be cleansed of our sins. They doubled down and they persecuted him. So here's the question. Do you want to be well? What is your lame area? I'm good. Are you sure? Because you have a savior who wants to heal. 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 <laughs> Sound like a dog. Heal. 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 Uh, uh, you have a savior who wants to, to bring healing into our lives. And the story is fascinating. Let's open up to, to John chapter 5. And let's pray again as we do. Jesus, we thank you so much for the profound way of you. Lord, your ways are higher than ours. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than us. But Lord, when we look at your ways, they're marvelous. They're glorious. And Lord, we want to know you more. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us from your word, that you'd speak to each and everyone here. I know, Lord, there's many here with different needs. Some are just really doing great in life right now. Some are hurting and everything in between. But Lord, all of us are in need of you. Would you speak to us? Lord, we've come here to worship you. We've come here to see you. Would you speak to each one of us personally and individually? We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, well, let's pick up in chapter 5. Uh, Jesus has just begun his ministry. It's early in his ministry. And uh, he had uh, uh, gone up to Galilee, and he's been there in Galilee. He, uh, he turned water into wine at Cana of Galilee, right? Uh, there in Galilee, he healed a child who was at the point of death upon a father's request. And now he comes back down to Jerusalem. Chapter 5, are you there? After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, John normally tells us what feast it is. He doesn't tell us on this one, so we don't know what time of year it was. Uh, but he goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, he was at Galilee. Verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. Uh, by the way, little sidebar. For 1,900 years, 
uh, there was no evidence of this place, Bethesda. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the liberal scholar said, well, uh, the book of John wasn't actually written by John. It was written by someone else much later who had no knowledge of Jerusalem, and there's no such place, and it's just metaphorical. It's a metaphorical pool. It's a metaphorical healing. It's all allegory. And sure enough, uh, time goes by, and uh, in just uh, the last generation, guess what they discover? In Jerusalem, they find the Pool of Bethesda. And they excavate. I have a picture of it for you. Uh, here it is when they, uh, after they had first found it. Take a look at this arch here at the top. Uh, let's go to the next, next picture. Here it is. There's that same arch. Uh, put that circle on that arch for me. That they dug 40 feet down, and uh, guess what they find? The Pool of Bethesda. And there's still water in it. And there's five porches along the side, exactly like the Bible teaches. And just remarkable to consider. Uh, and uh, the glory of... Uh, the glory of man is momentary, right? Like all our scholars, well, there's, there's another John and another, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the glory of man is like a flower. It fades like that. But the word of God endures forever. Uh, and uh, we, we see how, how uh, just over and over again, the Bible archaeologically is proven. It's the most reliable book you could ever hold in your hand. It is the word of God. Anyway, back to verse 2. There's in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these five porches lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, selfish, greedy, addicted, materialistic, arrogant, prideful, self-righteous. It's amazing how sick we can be, right? We need a great physician. And we have these needs. And they're there. They're at these five porches. They're, they're waiting for the moving of water. Uh, some of you don't have a verse 4 in your Bible. Uh, that's because some ancient manuscripts don't have verse 4 in it. Uh, I'll read it to you. Even if yours doesn't have a verse 4, everything in verse 4 can be inferred from verse 7. So it, it should be there. Uh, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made, uh, was made well of whatever disease he had. Uh, now, uh, I want you to know, uh, this doesn't really happen. This was a belief that people had. Uh, John is telling you this is what the people believed would happen. And so the lame, the sick, the homeless, the everything else, they would just kind of gather there and they would hang out by this pool. They'd get a suntan. Uh, they'd, you know, uh, they would do nothing by the pool of Bethesda. And uh, I want you to know, nowhere in the Bible is the Bible saying there's an angel that comes down and touches a water and you have to be the first one in to get, that's not what it's saying. That's not what the Bible is teaching. But there was this belief that they had. And we know that today people still have crazy beliefs, right? Uh, like, can you think of a crazy belief? How about karma? People actually really believe that. Uh, karma. Uh, no karma, right? That's just a crazy belief. Well, this was a crazy belief that they had. Now, on karma, uh, you do reap what you sow. That's a God-given truth, right? But uh, there's no 
anyway, uh, no karma. <laughs> so all these lame people, all these uh, homeless, uh, you know, just very different things, all just there, uh, diseased, troubled, uh, hanging out at the pool of Bethesda. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. I'd like you to read those words to me. How long? One more time. You say, Dave, why are you making me say stuff? I, I don't want to say stuff. Here's why. <laughs> I want you to think about how long that is. That's his lifetime. And he's had this, this affirmity his lifetime. And his plan to get better uh, is not working, right? This, think about that. Uh, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? There's our verse. The sick man answered him saying, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Uh, why did Jesus do it on the Sabbath? Because there's more than one lame person watching. There's some religious leaders who are equally lame. And we all have our lameness, right? They've got their lameness. And he's trying to fix their lameness also. Because they've got the wrong ideas about the Sabbath. Uh, but interesting how this works. Uh, think about this. 38 years is a long time to be lame. This man's been lame his whole life. And this malady that he has is hindering him from achieving his full potential. He cannot provide for himself. He cannot provide for others. He cannot do the things that God has uh, created him to do. Because he has this malady in his life. And it's interesting because his lungs are good, his heart beats fine, his hands are strong, his eyes are good, but he has this malady that is ruining his life. It is hindering him from achieving his potential. And to make matters worse, he has no real plan for getting better. He's waiting for some fant fantasy fix some miraculous moment, some pipe dream possibility to make him well. And it will never come. It will never come. And deep inside his heart, he knows that his fantasy plan is not working. He is not getting better. And yet he continues this charade day after day after day. And I'd like to ask you, why? Why is he doing this? How long has it been? And he's still going to the pool of Bethesda every single day playing the charade. Why? Why? Well, maybe it's subconscious. Maybe it's subliminal. Maybe he gives a, him a justification to think he is working on something when he's not working on something. It's amazing how complex we are, isn't it? How we will actually do things to deceive ourselves. 
maybe that's why he continues with this fantasy plan. And as I look at this, as I consider this, as I look at this man, I realize, oh my gosh, I am that lame man. That's me. I have maladies in my life that I cannot seem to fix. My hands are strong. My lungs are good. My IQ is adequate. And yet for some reason, I can't fix these lame areas of my life. And like this lame man, I too employ my pseudo plan, my fantasy fix, my superstition to get well. Maybe you do too. Do you know what my fantasy fix is? Well, I'll try harder. I'll do better. And yet I'm not getting well. I'm in the same spot. And just like this man at the pool of Bethesda, my fantasy fix, I'll try harder, I'll do better, is just a coping mechanism I've created to appease my own guilty conscience to think that I'm actually doing something when in reality, no one's getting well. I'm, it's not getting better, Right? And so it's interesting, wow, uh, I have this in my life. Uh, why does this lame man hold on to this pseudo plan? For 38 years, it's not worked. But this year, I'm going to get well? We see that he's delusional, isn't he? He's holding a false belief about his own reality. And here's the real reality. Unless God intervenes, that man will never be healthy. Unless God intervenes, that man will never achieve his human potential. Unless God intervenes, he will remain lame his entire life. And I want you to know the same is true for you and I. Do you want to be made well? It's interesting that we are there in that situation and uh, here we have this man is hopeless, man. He has no hope of getting better, period. And this is when out of nowhere, Jesus appears to him. And out of nowhere, Jesus comes to him. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for him. And out of nowhere, Jesus asked the question, say it with me, do you want to be made well? Wow. Good question. Good question. Do you want to be made well? It's interesting that Jesus seeks out this man. Jesus' fame was already growing. Uh, Jesus' popularity was already growing. There's myriads of people around Jesus, and yet Jesus seeks out this man that most people would ignore, that most people wouldn't even go to. And Jesus goes out of his way to go to him. One of the things that concerns me in our society, and I don't know the, the, the fix to it, uh, but there are so many people on the Pool of Bethesda's today, on the streets, uh, taking drugs. Uh, you see them. They're so high, they're hunched over, and they're doing weird things, and, and we just walk by to get our sandwich. And I don't know the total fix, but I know that I can't harden my heart to this either, right? It's like, uh, I want to be effective at bringing Jesus into this world, to bring as much health as we possibly can. Jesus cares for this man. 
He goes to him. He finds him because in his malady, he would never improve. He would waste his entire life. He's already wasted 38 years. And Jesus comes to him and he asks them this question. And it actually seems cruel when you first look at it. Who has the audacity to ask a lame, paralyzed guy, do you want to be made well? What kind of question is that? It seems cruel, does it not? But Jesus' question reveals something very disturbing about our human nature. Many people don't want to be made well. Staggering. You wouldn't think it was true, but it's true. Jesus asked the question because not everybody wants to be well. Not everybody wants to be sound. Not everybody wants to be healthy. Not everybody wants to be growing. Why? Here's why. Because it's hard work. And we're lazy. Our sin nature does not want to be responsible and work hard and be disciplined. Our flesh loves to choose comfort over personal growth. Our flesh loves to just take the easy route. And look at his answer, and you'll see how wise Jesus' question was. Look at his answer. Jesus asked him in verse 6, do you want to be made well? And look at his answer in verse 7. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But when I'm coming, another steps down before me. And this, I want you to know, is a Reader's Digest version of a long rant. And it went something like this. Oh, man, I've tried so hard, but last time, uh, Billy Bob cut right in front of me. And, oh, I hate Billy Bob. He's always trying to blah, blah, blah. And then I hired this person. I hired someone because, you know, I wanted to be the first one in. And, and man, I was, you know, I did everything I could. But you know what? That person, they went off and they took a, a lunch break. And their lunch break was like three hours. And when the water was stirred, I couldn't get in. And I would have been in if it wasn't for that person that I hired. And then there was another one they did. And I won't go on and on, but you get the idea. Let me ask you, what did Jesus ask him? What does his answer have to do with Jesus' question? Nothing. Nothing. It's a self-justification answer so that I can continue in my fantasy idea of how I'm going to get better. And it will never come and jesus asked a very simple question i'm the creator of the universe i'm the savior of the world do you want to be well and his obvious answer should have been what yes, yes. please instruct me what do you want me to do I am your servant, Lord. What would you have me to do? But instead, well, I've got no one and my ex-wife and this and that and this and that and these problems and there I just, my, my mom, my dad. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Do you want to be made well? And here we see many people don't because getting well requires something of us, requires hard work. Requires taking inventory. Requires following Jesus. We've all seen people who are abusing disability insurance. They're fine, but they're on disability for how long? 
years. We've all seen people who are uh, abusing workers' comp or unemployment or some kind of government aid. They milk it and they milk it and they milk it. And I want you to know something. It is sinful. It is wrong. And you might think that you're cheating the system and aren't you smart? I want you to know something. You are only robbing who? Yourself. You are robbing yourself of your full potential of what God wants to do in your life. And the reality is they stay on these things because they don't want to be well. Being well is being a selfless provider, is serving others, is building up others, is taking care of others. And they don't want to be well. They want to be takers, not givers. They just want to do their own thing. And we hate it when someone abuses unemployment or disability insurance or or fakes a lawsuit to get money so they don't have to work. We hate those things. We want to tell them, hey, be responsible. Quit doing that. Knock it off. And yet, here I come back to Jesus' words. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Because I realize many of us are doing the same thing with our own lame areas of life. I've got an anger problem. And so everybody else has to pay for my anger problem. I'm just like the guy. I've got a lust problem. And it's damaging my relationships around me. I've got a drinking problem. And everybody else in my life is paying for it. I've got a drug addiction. And everybody else is paying for it. I'm selfish and I just do my recreation all the time. And everybody else in my life is paying for it. I've got this financial, I'm a shopper, I like buying things, and, and it's hurting the financial health of my family. I realize, wow, uh, we're not much different. You've got a critical spirit, and your cutting words are chopping down the lives of those around you, and they're paying for it. We don't want to work at it. We don't want to be responsible. We don't want to be accountable. And so we see tremendous wisdom in Jesus' question. Do you want to be made well? And all of us have those areas in our life that we are lame and in need of healing. None of us are uh, uh, removed. Uh, But the question is, do you want to be made well? Here's something that you might want to think about. If you wrote something down that's a lame area in your life, you might actually want to be well. If you didn't write something down, you may not want to be well. We're complex, man. We're complex. Why would anyone not want to be well? That seems crazy, doesn't it? Why would anyone not want to be well? Well, I want to give you three reasons why we may not want Jesus to make us well. Number one, we don't want to change. We just don't want to change. Growing is hard work. And if a lame man really wanted to be healed, 
How would he have answered Jesus when Jesus said, hey, do you want to be made well? He would have said, yes, I do. I want to be well. I find it interesting in counseling, you can generally tell pretty quickly if people want to change or not. A lot of times in marriage counseling, they don't want to be well. They just want me to fix their spouse. <laughs> they don't want to be well. I didn't come here to have you fix me. Uh, let me tell you what she's doing. Or let me tell you what he's doing, right? And you can generally tell who wants to be made well. Many of us, like that lame man, are what I call comfortably miserable. Comfortably miserable. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I wish I could walk, and I wish I could do these very things. But if I walked, I'd have to get a job. And if I had to get a job, I'd have to be good at something. And if I was to get good at something, I'd have to work it. And if I could walk, then people would expect things of me. And right now, no one expects anything of me. And I can lay here all day and get a suntan and wait for someone to come by and give me some charity and drop off a meal. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's miserable being at the Pool of Bethesda, but I'm comfortably miserable. It's too hard for a Sunday morning? <laughs> too much? <laughs> I'm comfortably miserable right now. I mean, yeah. Uh, See, I know I can't walk, but I have no responsibilities. And therefore, no one's expecting anything of me. And therefore, I'm not disappointing. So subconsciously, no, I don't really want to change. I don't really want to be well. And here's some areas where we see it in life. Hey, I know I'm a workaholic, but no one expects me to be there for them because I'm at the office. And I feel good about myself because I can put it under the guise of I'm doing it for my family. Well, let me tell you something. Your family needs you. They need you. And I respect hard work. And I mean, I put in a lot of hours myself, and, and I get it. But man, don't replace that and be, use that as a lame excuse for not being with your family, right? And we see that we do these things so we can subconsciously just justify it. Hey, I know I'm snappy. I know I'm irritable. But someone's got to get things done here. I mean, someone's got to be the, be the, be the mean guy. And so, you know, that's why, I, that's why I snap. Hey, can I tell you something? That's just not true. You don't have to be snappy. You don't have to bite people's head off to be productive. How about we learn some leadership skills that don't require you to bite someone's head off in order to get something done? Because there's better things than anger to bring motivation, right? Uh, we come up with these lame excuses uh, because we don't want to get well. Why don't we want it? Because change is hard. Change is hard. When we blame someone or something else for our problems, it only reveals that we don't really want to change. Notice what this man did when Jesus came to him and says, do you want to be made well? What did he do? Tell me, what did he do? He blamed everybody else. Well, I've got no one. There's no one there for me. I, no one's ever there for me. It's just not my fault. It's just, it's your fault. Really? 
This is one of the reasons why I so despise the CRT curriculum that is being pushed through the schools. Because the CRT curriculum makes everyone a victim. And we already have a sin nature that wants to blame everybody else. That's what looking at the plank, looking at the speck in your brother's eye instead of the plank in your own eye is all about, right? We love blaming others. But it doesn't work. We don't grow when we do. And when we blame someone else for our problems, it only reveals that we don't really want to change. So Jesus' question was really good. It's one thing to know that we should change. It's one thing to know I need to change. But it is entirely different to want to change. And we need to want to change. This is one reason it's almost impossible to help somebody else who doesn't really want to change. And if you have a loved one on drugs or some kind of problem in their life and you're trying to help them and they don't want the help, they don't want to change, uh, don't put pearls before swine, right? They've got to want the change more than you do before you can help. Uh, but let's focus more on our own uh, lame areas. Uh, we have to want change. I want to give you a tool to help you to want change in your life. I want to give you a tip to help you desire to be inspired to change in your life. Think about this lame area in your life and write out and meditate. Think on it, not just right now, but uh, maybe right now, but also later. Uh, meditate on and write out the benefits of changing. What would happen if you changed? Instead of cutting others down with your sharp tongue, what would happen in your life if you stopped that? And you started building up others with your words and, and, and uh, caring uh, for others. Well, what would happen? What would happen if you got rid of that uh, addiction, whatever it is? What would happen? What would be the benefits of not having that? What would happen if you quit blaming everybody else and, and you just said, I'm not going to do that anymore? Uh, what would it be like if I quit gossiping and I just quit talking bad about others? What, what, would, my, what would be the benefits of that in my life? What would happen? Uh, good thing to, to meditate on and to write down all the benefits of how you would achieve a greater human potential uh, by making that change. And then write down the liabilities of staying the same, of not making that change, of being lame. And these two lists will help you big time when you feel like reverting to being comfortably miserable. And you will. Because it's our nature to go back to comfortably miserable. Uh, our human potential is staggering. But it requires some work. It requires some growth. It requires some working at it. And uh, there's times we just don't want to. And having a list of those kind of times will really help us. And so we see that uh, one of the reasons we may not want Jesus to make us well is because we don't want to change. And so that list might be helpful. The second reason we may not want Jesus to make us well is the fear of failure. Uh, fear is a huge obstacle to our personal growth. And fixing our faults often seems like just too big of a task. I can't do it, man. I can't. It's just too big. I don't know how. It's too big. It's too hard. It's too far out there. I don't know how to do it. And therefore, we don't take the first step. 
Why? Because I'm just afraid if it just seems too big. I just I can't do it. Can't do it. I want you to know something. The calling of God is the enabling of God. The calling of God is the enabling of God. This lame man did not know how to walk. What did Jesus tell him to do? Walk. The calling of God is the enabling of God. Look at verse 8 one more time. Do you want to be made well? Verse 6. Verse 7. Blah, 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 blah. It's their fault. How dare you ask me that? You're a horrible man, Jesus. Why would you do this? Jesus says, rise, get up, and take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Amazing, remarkable. I want you to know, nobody knows how to do something that they've never done before. Obviously, right? Uh, Nobody knows how to. This man didn't know how to walk. Uh, when my wife got pregnant with our first, with Jordan, my firstborn, I didn't know how to be a dad. She was pregnant when I, when I got saved. Uh, I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. She was pregnant. I got saved. Now I'm saved. I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, I got a kid coming. I don't know how to be a dad. I didn't have a dad in my life. Uh, I never lived with my dad. Uh, I didn't know how to do it. The calling of God is the enabling of God. I remember crying out, Lord, I've got a kid coming. I don't know how to be a dad. I remember opening up, brand new Christian, opening up the book of Ecclesiastes, reading the wisdom that was in there and going, oh my goodness. You're my heavenly father. Here's the father I've never had. Here's the wisdom I never received. Here's the advice I never got. This is profound. I was reading this story in Ecclesiastes, and I'm like, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. And I'm reading the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's reading me. Like, it's like reading my mail. Where I was like, and I realized, oh my gosh, the calling of God is the enabling of God. You're equipping me, right? You're equipping me to be a dad. Uh, think about things that you, you've done in your life. Your first day of school, you didn't know how to go to school. You took a step. Riding a bike, you didn't know how to ride a bike. Your first kiss, Remember how awkward that was? <laughs> that magic moment. And you learn. Uh, learning how to surf. Uh, or let's go to some kingdom things. Learning how to share your testimony. I can't do that. I can't do that. This lame man couldn't walk. The calling of God is the enabling of God. Sharing your testimony. How about this one? Making disciples. Jesus has commanded you to make disciples. I want to ask you to raise your hands. How many of you are doing that? Systematically discipling someone, pouring into them, helping them grow to be a follower of Jesus. Well, Jesus told you to do that. Well, I can't. I'm I'm a new believer. He calls you to do that. Nobody knows how to do it. I think back at the first Bible study that I taught. It was hideous. It was ridiculous. I didn't know how to do it. 
And you know what happened? I'm pretty sure uh, there was a meeting in heaven. <laughs> and the Father tells the Son, and the Son tells the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit tells the Father, we got to do something. <laughs> this guy's going to mess up everything. We better pour into him, give him something to say. We better teach him the word. And so I took a step of faith. And pretty soon I was learning how to walk. You see, Jesus calls this, this, this man and says, do you want to be well? No, I want to blame everybody else. Listen to me. Get up and walk. And think about what happened in this man's life. Because the calling of God is the enabling of God. This man had never stood on his feet before. And think about just physically what has to be happening the neurons that have to be connecting for the first time, the muscles that have to work for the first time, the, the, ten, the sinews and the, the tendons and everything else. And, and he's like, I don't know how to stand. Stand. And he stands. And then Jesus says, now walk. I don't know how to walk. And he takes his first step. And you want to know something? Being faithful to obey Jesus and standing allowed him to be faithful in the next command to take a step. And being faithful in taking a step made him be able to take his next step. And being faithful in his next step allowed him to be able to take his next step. And being faithful in that next step took him and made, allowed him to be able to actually go somewhere. And, and now he's achieving all new human potential that he never had before. He's got a God, and the call of God is the enabling of God. We have to take steps of faith. We have to grow. Uh, we have to walk in these things. And I want you to know, when we make life changes that are in line with God's will, we can be confident that God will equip us and empower us to change and to grow. This is a promise in Scripture. It's been proven over and over and over again in Scripture. And it's been proven over and over and over again in my life and all the lives around you. This is guaranteed. Jesus said it this way. John 5 on your screens. 1 John 5. Let me hear you read this, church. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, in Jesus. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. God, I don't know how to be a good husband. Great. Because for judgment I came into this world that those who are blind might see. I don't need your help. Okay. Those who see may be made blind. Right? Uh, when we bring our lame areas to God and we say, Lord, I want to I grow. I want to change. I want to walk in your ways. He, he builds us. Failure, fear of failure comes to us when we look at our own ability. I can't walk. I don't know how to walk. What do you mean get up and walk? Yeah, I'd like to be well. Sure, I'd like, well, well, you make me well. Uh, Jesus doesn't do it that way. He works with us to make us well. Very rarely does he just lightning bolt zap. No, this is relationship Jesus, not lightning bolt Jesus. And he says, great, yeah, I'll help you walk. Take a step. I can't take a step. You take a step for it. No, 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 that's your job. You take a step. 
And fear of failure comes when we look at our own ability. The, the lame man can say, I can't do that. But bold and fearless faith comes to us when we look at God's ability. He's got Jesus standing there and he goes, I'm in, I'm in, I'll take a step. Don't let fear keep you from that important first step. That lame man stood for the first time in faith and uh, then he took a second step and then he took a third step. And, and, and do you think he was wobbly at first? Absolutely. He was probably, you know, like, and Jesus was probably like, hey, 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 no, 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 yeah. But hey, now, now that you're standing, take a step. And I'm sure he wasn't the best walker right away. I'm sure he wasn't running a four-minute mile. But he began in faith, and he begins to grow, and God will build him. Uh, amazing to consider. Bold faith comes to us when we look at God's ability. And may we have faith in our Savior. And may we take that first step. Uh, what areas in life is Jesus calling you to change? What areas in life is Jesus calling you to be well? In your marriage? In your weight? In your anger? In your parenting? In your selfishness? In your finances? In your learning the Bible? In some addiction you have? Do not let fear hold you back. Take that first step. God is able and I'd like to ask you this question. What would you do? What would you do? What change would you make if you knew that you could not fail? What investment, what change would you want to bring if you knew that the Lord would bless it? Because we just read, Jesus said, if you ask anything that's kingdom-minded, that's part of my, my will, you ask, I'm going to do it for you. What would you ask? What risk would you take if you knew God was going to bless it? And I want to encourage you, take that risk. Take that step. And watch God work in your life. Uh, again, reasons we may not want to change. Number one, uh, we may not want Jesus to make us well. Number one, we don't want to change. Number two, the fear of failure and the third reason is we don't want to surrender our will to Jesus' lordship. We think we do, but Jesus would speak and mankind would reveal that even though we may think we do, few actually do want to surrender their lives to the lordship of Jesus. In verse 7, why did the lame man answer this way? Do you want to be made well? And he goes off and blaming all these other things. Uh, what way is he looking for God to, to bring healing into his life? Let me ask you, let's, let's do a poll. I want everybody voting. Are you up for a little game show? It's game show time again. Uh, let's do a game show. How many of you would say this lame man believes in God? Raise your hands. I want everybody voting. No, no non-voters. How many of you would say this lame man doesn't believe in God? Okay, a lot of you didn't vote. Oh, what the heck? Uh, those of you who said he doesn't believe in God, uh, tell me why. Why doesn't he believe in God? How do you, how do you get there? How did you come to that conclusion? No hope. No, hope. Uh, no action of faith? He had some hope. He's at the pool of Bethesda. Just thinking out loud with you, not putting you down. What's that? 
comfortably miserable there, okay. Uh, like that you're holding on to that word. Uh, those of you who said he did believe in God, tell me why he did. Why you think he did? Ah. So you might come to him and you say, hey, do you believe in God? Is God the, the Lord of your life? Is he the authority of your life? I'm insulted. How dare you say that? I believe in God. I've been faithful here at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, waiting for God to move. Problem? You're waiting for God to move the way you want him to move. Not the way God wants to move. That is called lordship. We want it our way. And God, I think you should do this. And that is called a lack of lordship. We can get so focused, this man was, on what he wants God to do, that he almost missed out on what God actually wanted to do. And can I tell you something? What God wanted to do was way better than what he wanted to get God to do. He wanted to get touched by an angel. God wanted him to know Jesus personally and intimately, face to face. Far greater, man, far greater. Surrendering to Jesus' lordship means that we bring our life under his authority and his rule. When the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? How are we supposed to pray? Do you remember what Jesus said? Pray, your fa our Father, that art in heaven. Man, I love starting a prayer like that. Abba. Uh, that would be, actually, it's, it's, it seems sacrilegious to say it, but it's actually like Daddy. It's, it's God uh, you're talking to, and yet you're calling him Father. It shows you how person, personal and intimate the relationship is. Our Father, that art in heaven. And then what's the next part? Holy, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Close and personal, intimate relationship, but also incredible reverence. I am not like you in any way, shape, or form. You are holy. Holy means different than everything else is what holy means. You are holy. And so there's this good prayer here. And then what did Jesus say next? Our Father that art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What did he say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Let me tell you what that does not mean. This is important for you as a growing Christian. Here's what that does not mean. Lord, I just pray that today your will would be done in this situation, you know, between me and so-and-so. I just pray your will would be done. Can I tell you something? Put duct tape on your mouth and stop praying that. I'm, you know, that's... That's hyperbole, uh, but, but that's the wrong prayer. If you're just praying, Lord, I just pray your will be done. I just pray, oh, it sounds so spiritual. I just pray your will, Lord. That's not what Jesus is asking. Well, what's he asking? Here's what he's saying. I realize you're my heavenly father. I also realize that you're very holy. So Lord, in my life, I want your kingdom, I want your will to be executed perfectly, just like it is in heaven. In order for that to happen, what do I have to know? What his will is. 
So I've got this marriage and I've got this problem. And so instead of saying, Lord, I just pray that you'd heal my marriage. And, and Lord, I pray that your will would be done in my marriage. Well, you're, that's a very childish prayer. It's time to grow up. Hey, God honors childish prayer, child, childlike prayers when you're a child. But he doesn't want to leave you a child. It's a great place to start. So if you're starting there, great. But it's time to grow up. What is Jesus saying? Uh, Lord, I've got this issue in my marriage. And your kingdom principles in this are that I would behave this way to build my wife. And Lord, help me to put my pride and my ego aside and to be selfless so that I can actually work on growing this thing in the marriage so that there's health. And what, it's, what Jesus is saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's saying just like in heaven, when a command is given, it's executed, it's done, it's immediate. The angels aren't going around, what did you want us to do? We just pray that whatever you want happens. They're not doing that. They are bringing God's will into reality. And that's our job in prayer. You say, I don't know God's will. No problem. Start there. Instead of saying, God, fix my marriage, your will be done, say, Lord, my marriage is a mess. And I need to know what, how you want me to react in this. I'm going to study your word now. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to spend time in your word for the next 40 days to learn, Lord, what you have to say about how you want me to grow and what you want me to walk in, how I can bring your kingdom into my marriage, how I can bring your will into my marriage. And in order for that to happen, to say your kingdom come, I have to say my kingdom go. For me to say your will be done, I have to say my will not be done. I want you to just fix my life. God says, I want my kingdom in your life. Big difference, right? Uh, and so we have to grow in these things. Um, maybe you, like the lame man, are asking God to heal something in your life. Uh, and you've already got it all scripted out for how you want God to do it. Uh, Jesus, my wife doesn't make love to me enough. Uh, please help her to make love to me more. All right, uh, uh, whose will is that? Uh, well, I want you to know, well, I'll, I'll stop there. Maybe your wife is saying, Lord, my husband doesn't talk to me enough. Please help my husband to talk to me more. Okay, well, whose will is that? Well, I want you to know God's will is for both of you. What you're wanting is good. The Bible is really clear. You should have, be able to make love anytime you want in your marriage. That's just scripture, 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, that's the Bible, right? But don't go throwing that verse at your wife. No, no, no. Realize that, well, maybe if I talk to her more, maybe if I love her the way she needs to be loved more, uh, let me focus on your kingdom come, your will be done, right? Uh, and then all these things will be added unto you. And so uh, uh, it's important that we surrender our will to Jesus's lordship. Um, ask yourself, am I sincerely trying to do it God's way or am I asking God to bless my way? Uh, which way was the, this man at the pool of Bethesda? Which one was he doing? God bless my way. God bless my way. That wasn't what Jesus wanted to do. Uh, if we're telling God what to do, listen to your prayers. 
If you're telling God what to do in your prayers, I want you to know you have things backwards. You have quit listening. And if you quit listening, you have quit growing. And if you quit growing, you have major lame spots in your life. You're not well. You're not healthy. We must surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And how do we do that? By really knowing God's word, learning it, obeying it, looking for direction in it for the things that we're facing, and then obeying it once we learn it. And I want to encourage you. I want to give you, you say, well, yeah, I just, you're just telling me just to obey the Bible. I didn't need to come here to hear that. I already knew that. I want you to know something. God isn't looking for perfect obedience from you. I fall short all the time. God is not looking for perfect obedience. Do you know what he's looking for? Wholehearted obedience. Big difference. Big difference. Wholehearted obedience. Honest obedience. Uh, uh, trying to come to him uh, under the lordship of, of Jesus. Uh, the Bible says a righteous man may stumble seven times. That just means he might fall over and over and over again. And I do. But the Lord upholds him with his hand, is what he says. Though the righteous man stumbles seven times, the Lord will uphold him with his hand. Oh, Jesus isn't looking for perfect obedience. Don't set a bar so high you can never measure to it. But uh, realize you're going to fall. When you do fall, be honest. Bring it before the Lord. Confess it. And get right back on track again. When you find yourself going back to the pool of Bethesda so you can lay out and get a tan and do nothing, realize, oops, wrong path. Lord, you've called me to stand up and you've called me to walk. I'm getting back on track. Uh, and this is what it means to come under the lordship of Jesus. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.